great to see you all. What a beautiful morning this is, and I hope you've enjoyed it already today. Welcome. Glad you're here, and I want to say hi to everyone over in the sanctuary. I know you're joining us there, and we're glad you're with us as well. We are beginning a new series uh, this morning, which I know is going to be very meaningful to you and very helpful to so many lives. We're calling it Clean. What it refers to are the habits and the hurts and the hang-ups that all of us have experienced in life and become obstacles in front of us, keeping us from God's best design and plan for our lives. And so what we want to do through this series is to identify what these hurts might be, how to handle them, how to overcome them so that we can be whole and well and at peace and clean. And so that's, that's our agenda, and I know it's going to be helpful to you. We're going to use as our opening text from the prophet Isaiah this morning, Isaiah chapter 57. I'm going to read for us verses 14 to 21. Our theme verse for this series is actually verse 18 of Isaiah 57, and I know it's going to be helpful. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, we're going to project these words on the screen for you. Isaiah 57, beginning at verse 14. And may I invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. These are words of comfort that comes from God through the prophet to all of us. So be encouraged today. Be, it, be comforted. Be at peace by these words. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for then they would faint away because of me, the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger, yet they kept on in their willful ways. I've seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And may God instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Recently, a father was trying to take an afternoon nap on a Sunday. His living room, a little son of his, kept pestering him. He was bored, and he wanted his dad's attention. Dad needed a nap, so dad looked down at the Sunday paper, and he saw... Uh, on one of the pages, the world there, you know, the earth was depicted. And so the father had an idea and he got some scissors and he cut the world into about 50 pieces. And he knew that this would dis distract the young boy for a long time. He said, now this is like a puzzle, son. And when you put all this together, you come and see me. And he thought that'd give him a good 45 minutes to an hour. Well, in 15 minutes, this little guy had it all put together. Came back in, tapped the dad on the shoulder. I got it done, dad. And the dad said, how in the world did you put that all back together? I mean, the dad knew this little guy didn't know the continents, didn't know the countries, wouldn't be able to put this thing back together. And the little guy said, well, dad, there was a picture of a person on the back page of that newspaper. And when I got my person put together, the world looked just fine. <laughs> now let that, let that soak in for a minute. When I got the person put together... 
the world look fine. Beginning this series uh, today entitled Clean, we want to handle and overcome the hurts, the habits of life, the hang-ups that keep us from God's best plan. Isaiah 57, 18 is going to be our theme verse. Let me just rehearse it with you one more time. God is speaking to all of us, and he said, I have seen how they acted, you know, their willful, stubborn, rebellious tendencies as, as people, the people of God. That's us. We identify with that, I think. He said, I've seen how they acted, but... And notice how God now just turns it. He said, but I will heal them. I will lead them and help them. And I will comfort those who mourn. And I will offer peace near and far. Now, I want to encourage you to feel that if you can. Feel that promise. Feel that hope. There are five uh, promises in this one verse. If you've been hurt, God says, I will heal you. If you're confused in life by circumstances of life, God says, I will lead you. I will lead you. If you've ever felt you were helpless to change anything, God says, I want to help you change that. If, if you've ever felt no one understands your problems, no one gets it, God says, I want to comfort you. I want to identify with you and draw close to you. And if you feel anxious and worried or afraid, God says, I want to offer you my peace. Isn't that encouraging? Hear these things. I want to heal you lead you, help you, comfort you, and give you my peace. Isaiah 57, 18. So hang on to that comfort. Hang on to that hope as we uh, delve into this subject. The reason we're into this subject is because life is tough. Stuff happens. Bad things happen. People get wounded. People get hurt. We hurt ourselves. We hurt other people. Other people hurt us. These are the kinds of things that happen in a in a fallen, sinful world. Stuff happens to us. And so this series is for everybody because all of us going through this life encounter wounds and pain and difficulty, and it develops into bad patterns and habits and hang-ups, obstacles that keep us from God's best. Let me just ask you to consider uh, a list of things. Maybe you're in the room today and you go, okay, I... Uh, Really, I, I don't have any problems. I'm good to go. Thanks a lot. It's not, it's not for me. Well, let me just ask you to consider this. What kind of things might you need to be healed from? Maybe, maybe it's overworking or grief or divorce or insecurity or gambling or overeating or guilt or abuse or perfectionism or lying. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs, anger and rage, sexual addictions, hypochondria, procrastination, overspending, fear and anxiety, codependency, hurtful relationships, the need to control. <laughs> now, let, let me tell you what I just did with that brief list. I've just included everybody. <laughs> in the need to be healed because thank you for not raising your hand you know every third <laughs> that's me that got me there <laughs> here's what i want you to do on your outline there's this first thing you need to fill in the blank fill this in because this is where we're starting realize i'm not god realize i'm not god i i need to admit that i don't have the power necessary to control the tendency that i have as a human being based on all the things i've been through the tendency I have to do the wrong things 
and, and to admit that my life really is unmanageable in my own strength. I need God's help. I am not God. You say, well, okay, that may be true for, for other people, but, you know, really, I'm managing fine. How about this? Do you ever stay up late when you know you need to sleep? Do you ever eat or drink more calories than your body needs? What is that, like a trick question? <laughs> do you ever feel you ought to exercise, but you don't? You ever know the right thing to do, but you don't do it? You ever know something is wrong, but you do it anyway? Have you ever known you should be unselfish, but you ended up being selfish in that very moment? Have you ever tried to control somebody or something and found that it was totally uncontrollable? Listen, if you answered yes to any of those questions or all of those questions, then welcome to the human race. Welcome to humanity. This is the nature of things. This is the world in which we live. And it's right for us to ask ourselves if we're doing okay, is God with us? Is he leading us? Is he comforting us? Is he healing the points in our lives where we've been wounded and where we have pain? Are my hurts, my habits, and my hang-ups, am I allowing God's power in my life in order to manage those things? I want to talk about three things this morning. One is the cause of some of these issues in our lives. I want to talk about the consequences that happen in everybody's life as a result of these uh, bad choices and behaviors. And the third thing is I want to talk about the cure. We're going to lay a foundation this morning for this entire series. And so let's talk about the cause. The cause of my problem, the cause of all of our problems, is what the Bible calls my sin nature. I want to write that down, my sin nature. This is, this is the effect that we have inherited from Adam and is our tendency, even after we become Christians, our tendency to do what is wrong, even though we know what is right. I, I, I do them even when they are self-destructive, and I don't do things that are good for me. I respond the wrong way, I react the wrong way, I tend to treat people in the wrong way, I, I try to fix things that aren't my place to try to fix, Proverbs 14 says it perhaps best. It says, there is a way that seems right. There's a way that seems right, but it ends in death. And we all identify with that because we're always reacting, responding. You know, how many times have you been in a moment where you said, how many times? How many times do I have to go through this? How many times do I have to learn this lesson? How many times do I have to suffer this? How many times? And it's true for all of us. And you'll always have this sin nature, this desire to do the wrong thing. The Apostle Paul, he put his finger right on it. And he wrote it down for us in Romans 7, verse 15. He said, I don't understand myself at all. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It can be argued that he's the greatest man who's ever lived save Jesus. This, this guy understood the gospel. This guy understood the hope that God has provided to us in a relationship found in his son Jesus. This guy got it. And so here's a man who says, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what's right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, but rather what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself. It's sin inside of me that's stronger than I am. It makes me do these evil things. Now, does that sound vaguely familiar to anyone here? Vaguely? Just, can you connect with that at all? I mean, that's it, isn't it? He describes it perfectly well. 
And so here's what I want you to know today, that the first step, the first step in overcoming these obstacles, the first step in, in healing, the first step in recovery, the first step to being clean is to recognize your need for God. Recognize your need for God. When you think about our sin nature, what is, what is the root of that tendency to do the wrong thing when you know what's right? What, what is the cornerstone of a sinful, corrupt human nature? Here's what I think it is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right. What it is, is my tendency, my, my need to be God. I, look, I want to run my own show. I want to do my own thing. I want to make my own rules. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want anyone reminding me what's right and what's wrong. I want to be boss. I want to be in control. I want to be God in my life. This is man's oldest problem. Man's oldest problem. In the Garden of Eden, here we have this beautiful paradise. Everything is, is fabulous. It is, it is wonderful in the extreme. Everything, the air is fresh. The sky is blue. The fruit is sweet. Everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. It's paradise. God says, look, Adam, Eve, you have the run of the whole place. Go anywhere. Do anything. Enjoy. This has been made for your pleasure uh, have at it. Just, there's just one, one thing. That tree, that one tree that's in, kind of in the middle there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that fruit, you don't want to eat that. You can have fruit from every other. There are acres and acres, miles and miles of paradise. Here, it's all for your wonderment and your pleasure. You can eat anything, go anywhere, do whatever you like. Just that one tree there, and that fruit, don't eat that fruit. That's all. So you, you avoid that, and you're good to go. What's the first thing they did? What is the matter with us? The first thing they do is they make a beeline for that tree. Walk right up to that tree, and now what's, what's the process? The process is, look, God can either be God, or we can be God. And frankly, I don't want anybody, not even God, telling me what to do. And they partook of that fruit. You want to write this down. How do we play God? It's by denying our humanity and by trying to control everything for selfish reasons. Denying our humanity, by that I mean we deny the fact that we are weak, we are flawed, we are failed, we cannot manage our own. We deny our humanity. We, we, we just disconnect from reality that I can't manage everything that I need to manage in my life. There's too much that happens. There's too much that goes on. There's too many hits. There are too many wounds. There's too much stuff that happens. I can't manage it all. And so I play God by denying that reality, my humanity, and by trying to control everything for selfish reasons. Listen, how do we play God? We do it by trying to control our own image. We put up masks. We pretend. We fake it. We want everyone to think that we're all together, that everything's fine, that we're all good. And we deny our weaknesses, we deny our feelings, and we say to people, look, I'm not upset. Are you angry? I'm not angry. You seem a little worried. I'm not worried. You seem a little afraid. I'm not afraid. And, we, and that's the way we live. We don't want people to see the real us. 
And so, so we play God by protecting our image. We do it by trying to control other people. Parents try to control kids. Kids try to control parents. Wives try to control husbands. Husbands try to control wives. And on and on it goes. There's office politics in your office. In your business, there's politics that goes on. In your neighborhood, there's politics that goes on. In your community, there's politics. I mean, countries try to control other countries. It's, it's, like, the, it's like this corruption that exists in our world, this need to control. I want to be God. I want to deny the fact that I'm a human being, and I want to pretend that I'm God. I'm going to, I'm going to conceal myself so you can't really see who I am, and I'm going to try to control you and c- control my environment. And we do this all the time. We do it through guilt. We do it through fear. We do it through praise sometimes. We give people the silent treatment. We have all kinds of means by which we manipulate the people around us. It's not good. Not good. Uh, we, try to, we try to control problems. Think about this. We're good at this. We use phrases like, I can handle it. It's not really a problem. I, I'm good, really. I'm okay. I'm fine. No, really. I understand some people have problems with this. I don't have a problem. I, it, I, I know I fly off the handle once in a while, but I know some people, they really get enraged. I mean, they throw stuff. I never throw anything. So I'm good to go. No, counseling, no, the last thing in the world, I don't need to talk to a counselor. I mean, please, not necessary. And we try to control our problems. That's how we play God. We deny our humanity, and we try to control for selfish reasons. We also try to control our pain. Have you ever thought about this? This is a big one, I think. Have you ever thought how much time we spend running from our pain? Think about it. We avoid it, deny it, escape it, reduce it, postpone it. People try to postpone their pain in all kinds of ways. Some people overeat. They eat way too much. It medicates their pain, so they, they just get too big. And then other people don't eat at all. And then they get really small trying to control their pain. And other people get drunk or take drugs, and they medicate it that way. So the next few hours, I don't have to feel my pain. And so I, I engage in these behaviors. Sometimes, sometimes I get in toxic relationships. There are people who do this all the time. And they say, J- that next relationship, that's going to be the key. Because when I get in that right relationship, that's going to make me a whole person and give me significance. And I won't feel the negative things I feel. And people go through one bad, toxic relationship. They say, well, that wasn't it. That's not the one. So you get out of that relationship, you get into another relationship. Because what I need is the right relationship. If I can just get in the right one with the right person, then I won't have to feel this. People engage in all kinds of compulsive behaviors, compulsive habits. Sometimes people get abusive. Sometimes folks just get depressed. All kinds of psychological and emotional issues surface in the human condition because people are trying to hide from their pain. And friends, all of us have pain. There's a better way to deal with it. There's a better way. That's what I'm trying to talk about. So pain comes when we realize in our quiet moments that we're not God, and it makes us afraid. And I can't control this. And so I've got to get something else in my life to replace that. Years ago on Saturday Night Live, Chevy Chase, one of the original uh, cast members of Saturday Night Live, he would occasionally on the program say this. He, said, I, he would say, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. You remember that? It, well, you, can you hear God saying that? Look, I'm God, you're not. 
So stop denying your humanity and trying to control everything in your life. Well, that's the cause of our problem. It's that sin nature that we have. Let's talk about the consequences of playing God. We all understand them, but let me just say them out loud so that you can identify them clearly. What are the consequences of playing God? One, there are four problems that happen to all of us when we try to play God this way. One is fear. You want to write that down. Just write fear. When I try to control everything, I get afraid. God goes into the Garden of Eden one morning, as is his custom. Apparently, he would walk with Adam in the cool of the morning, and he would have fellowship and conversation with Adam. Can you imagine a relationship like that? Every day, God shows up to walk with you and talk with you. Amazing. One day, God shows up in the garden, and he says, Adam, I'm here. Adam, where are you? Adam. And suddenly now, God is playing hide-and-go-seek like we would with a two-year-old. Like God doesn't know where he is. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Adam is hunkered down behind a bush, and he finally comes out. God says, what are you hiding? Why are you behind a bush? <laughs> Adam says, I heard you when I was in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Do you hear the word fear? And, and God didn't say, what are you afraid about? God said, who told you you were naked? <laughs> Which is another way of saying, you messed up, didn't you? Otherwise, you wouldn't know. Your, your innocence would still be in place. You wouldn't have any idea. No wonder you're afraid. You messed up, didn't you? Let's talk about that. So fear happens to us, and so we fake it, and we pretend, and we fill our lives with fear, and afraid that somebody's going to reject us, or love us, or not like us. And the reason for that is because we're all we've got. And if I really let you see me, and really get to know me, you probably won't like me. And if you don't like me as I really am, then what have I got left to do? I'm, I'm, this is who I am. And if you reject me, I'm afraid of that, so no. And so fear always happens in our lives when we try to play God, deny our humanity. The other, the other thing that happens is frustration. You want to write that down, frustration. It's frustrating trying to be the general manager of the universe. There's just too much going on. How many of you have ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? Chuck E. Cheese, come on. You take your children there, your grandchildren there. I've been there with my grandchildren. There is a, a wonderful machine at Chuck E. Cheese called Whack-A-Mole. You know Whack-A-Mole. It's, uh, this, it's this machine which has little moles in, uh, in their holes. They give you a rubber mallet, you put the token in, and it starts up, and a mole jumps out of one of the holes, and then you do what? Yeah, you just crack it. Yeah, you just whack the mole. Whack a mole. Whack! And what does the mole do? You whack him back down in the hole, but what happens next? Another mole pops up. What do you do with that? You whack that mole. But then what happens next? Another mole pops up. Is this too complicated? Another mole pops up. And you whack that, but, then, but now another one pops up over there, and now they're coming more quickly. And you're whacking moles, and you're doing the best you can, and you're trying your hardest because 
you score points when you hit the mole before they, and, and, so, and so, you, so you're trying your best. But inevitably, the whack-a-mole game frustrates because you can't possibly hit them all. Whack-a-mole is a perfect metaphor for life. Never thought you'd hear that in church today, did you? You can quote me. Because what happens in life? You, you, hit, you beat down one problem, and another problem pops up. You hit that problem, and another problem pops up. A compulsion pops up, and you go, bam! And then another compulsion pops up. And you hit that, and then another dysfunctional relationship, a, a harmful relationship pops up. And you hit that. And, and then another problem comes up over here, and you whack that. And before long, you got compulsion and problems and bad relationships and hurtful relationships popping up all over the place. And you're just trying to put all of them out, but you can't. You can't do it. It's frustrating. And if you could do it, you would have already done it, but you can't. It's frustrating. Frustration comes when you try to run the universe and you're not God because stuff happens. And it keeps happening. And it's out of your control. Here's a third thing that always happens to us when we try to play God, and that's fatigue. You should write that one down, fatigue. I'm, I'm tired of playing God, trying to control everything, pretending you've got it all together. Listen, denial takes a lot of energy. No, really, I'm okay. I'm, 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 I'm all right. It just wear you out. Listen to Psalm 32. This is King David. He said, my strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you, O oh God, and stopped trying to hide them. Boy, hear the wisdom of God. My strength just leaves me until... I confess my sins and stop trying to hide them. Here's what happens in people's lives. Fatigue. Fatigue happens in so many folks' lives because they run at a thousand miles an hour. Do you know people like this? They go, 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 go. They're constantly moving. They're constantly, they're constantly on the go. And the reason that peop some people move at such a high rate of speed is because, listen now, it's because they don't like what happens to them when they slow down. Because when they slow down and their head hits the pillow at night, they don't like the thoughts that come into their mind. And they don't like the reflections that begin to take place. And it's because they don't like them. They don't like themselves. And they know that there are issues in their lives that need to be resolved. And so people are not at peace. And so they lay down at night and they're constantly churning. And it just makes it worse. And so one of the remedies to this is to go and go, go, go until you're so tired that you don't have any energy left. So when your head hits the pillow, you go to sleep. And that's better than lying there thinking about it. And so people get all kinds of compulsive in their lives. They pick up a hobby. And suddenly now sewing, they're sewing 18 hours a day because sewing, 
sewing as their new hobby, and you know, and suddenly, you know, everybody, all the cousins, all the nieces and nephews, everybody's got a knitted pair of socks for Christmas because you're just going crazy with it. Or, or you pick up a, a sport or something, and now you spend all of your daylight hours on the golf course or on the tennis court, or some, and you just, you just obsess over it because you've got to just go, go, go with that because you don't want to slow down long enough to have to deal with yourself. And it happens in many people's lives. Let me just tell you one of the things I've noticed in the life of the church, and that is people use religious activities for the same thing. And there are some folks who just sign up for everything and engage in everything and do everything and go, go, go for God. But you get tired. And it's fatiguing just to go all the time. Although I will say, if you're going to be compulsive and try to run from your pain and all that and be God, if you're going to do that, if you focus on religious and godly things and helping people, that's probably better. I mean, if you're going to be whack, go, you know, go for something that's helpful, productive, instead of self-destructive. Just saying. Here's a, here's a fourth thing that always happens to us when we try to play God. There's fear, there's frustration, there's fatigue, and the fourth thing that's always true is there's failure. This is guaranteed, isn't it? Common sense. This is an axiom. I'm not God, and so when I try to be God, I'm going to fail at being God because I'm not God. It's guaranteed failure. Proverbs 28, 13, you'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. So confess them, give them up, then God will show mercy to you. There it is. You'll never succeed if you try to hide your sins. Confess them, give them up, and God will show you mercy. So you need to be open and honest about your weaknesses, about your faults, about your failures. Let me, let me just say something about the life of our church. For many years now, it has been one of my primary goals as the leader of our church to create a culture, to create a culture in our church, which I describe as an atmosphere of grace. An atmosphere of grace. And what I mean by that is my hope, my prayer is that, is that our church will be a place where real people with real lives and real issues can feel safe about actually pausing and confessing their faults, their sins, their need, their pain to trusted others within the life of the covenant community. That's an atmosphere of grace. That's, that's what we all need. That's the kind of home you want to create if you're a parent for your children. This is the kind of environment and culture you want to create if you, if you have a business. You want an atmosphere of grace. You have to give people, another way I say it is this, you have to give people permission to fail. Permission to fail. They say, well, what are you, promoting failure now? Wait a minute, no, no, stop and think about that. No one has to promote failure. Failure happens without promotion. I have failed, you have failed, all God's children have failed. We're all failures. You okay with that? Heck, most of us have failed already today about something, right? So failure isn't an option. Failure happens. But what you, want to, what you want to be part of 
is a, is a, is a place where there's, an, where there's a culture established, an atmosphere established, where there's grace enough to allow people to be themselves, to be fully human, to acknowledge those weaknesses and those needs and those frailties, and then to have a nurturing, grace-filled, healing, wholesome, empowering environment that can get people back on their feet and moving in the right direction along the way. And that's what we need. I was just at Asbury Theological Seminary a couple of weeks ago, and I was having lunch with a student. And, you know, here's this young theologian, and, I, and we were kind of grazing up against this subject, and he said, tell me more about that. He, and he said, tell me about the cultural ethos of your church. And this is what, this is what burgeoning young theologians, the kind of vernacular they use. And it gave me opportunity to say an atmosphere of grace, freedom to fail. And he was, he literally he stopped eating, started taking notes. Because this is, this is kind of a, a, an unusual concept. Because, listen, what, what we tend to do as Christians, we tend to put on a mask, pretend that everything's okay, and, and, and go about our lives together as if we're all put together. <laughs> and that's just goofy. Because nobody's put together. Nobody. We're all in process. We're all in, we're all in the, the process of maturity. We're all growing along the way. Nobody has arrived. No one has attained it. We all have stinky feet. The paint is still wet. It's drying on us, but it's not set up. And so all of us need to, need to position ourselves in such a loving way that we can be meaningfully helpful to others. Jesus said this to his disciples one day. He said, he said I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But bam. You know, that's, that's strong, isn't it? Strong. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, if you conjure up in your mind the image of some kind of iconic emerald city you know there's the church some huge institution some some uh, some monolith that's there you know we call it roman catholicism we call it orthodox or one of the protestant iterations or all the protestant iterations there's the church and it's big and it's bad and you see little demons trying to knock down the doors of the the, the big city can't we do it the gates of hell cannot if that's your vision that's not right I don't think Jesus was talking about some institutional, organizational structure when he said the church. Listen, the church, the church is comprised of the people of God who are knit together in meaningful relationships with one another. And in the context of that relationship, there's opportunity, there's safety, there's enough security, there's enough character strength, there's enough trust in God that we can actually be vulnerable enough with one another so that we can deal with the hurts, deal with the habits, deal with the hang-ups, so that we can find ourselves growing in grace, fulfilling the character of Christ, and going on to that perfection that God has designed for us. That's what cannot be prevailed against. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against people who have found their identity in Christ they know who they are. They know who made them who they are. They give God praise for it, and they're moving forward in that power. That's what God calls us to. And so the opportunity is before us. In an atmosphere of grace, 
to call on God. Stop playing God. Embrace our humanity. And be contrite of heart and humble in spirit. And confess our needs before God. Well, there are people in the room right now and Look, I identify with this, and many of you do as well. My problem's not that bad. My issues aren't that severe. And unfortunately, human behavior, human nature, is that we never change until our pain becomes greater than our fear of change. And we've all heard that before, right? We never really change. See, we don't change when we see the light. Today, you know, I'm, I'm preaching a you know, pretty good sermon here, and there's some light in the room. So, ah. Yeah, that's, some, that's true. That's, that's so helpful. Most people don't embrace change just when they see the light. Most people wait to embrace change when they feel the fire, when things really start happening, when the marriage starts to crumble, the kids go off the rails, the career starts to fold, stuff really starts, to, serious stuff starts to happen. One guy said it this way, it happened to me when the acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. The acid of my pain ate through the wall of my denial. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? But that's typically what happens. I'll remind you that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone in our lives. Maybe God's calling out to you today. And some of you may say, that's fine, but I can solve my own problems. Uh, this series on healing, recovery, being clean, that's for somebody else. Um, but look, here's my challenge to you today. Have you taken your hurt, your habit, your hang-up? Have you taken it to God? You know, listen, your instinct is bad about this we get it from Adam Adam messed up and what was his intuition his intuition was to run from God to hide from God to withdraw from God it's the bad instinct what God wants you to do is run to him draw close to him admit your need admit your weakness it takes humility it's hard this is this is the first step to freedom but it's the hardest it's the hardest for people to get over. But once you get over this first step, this first hump, I, I can't do it on my own. Getting over that first step is the key because all the rest of them then become easier after that. So it's about being humble and contrite. Let me just, uh, let me just bring this in for a landing now. Talk thoroughly about the cure. You want to write that down. The cure, admit my powerlessness. And I want to just give you three things, three things that we are powerless to change in our lives. The first one is this. I am powerless to change my past. Write that down because some of you will need to look at that later. I'm powerless to change my past. Listen, it hurt. It wounded me. It damaged me. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It still affects my life. But listen, here's a fact. Can't change it. Powerless to change what's happened. It's there. It is what it is. It has the consequences in my life. That's all true. But I have no power to change any of it. All of the anger, all of the resentment, all of the bitterness, 
all of that, all, if I can build up as much of that as one human being can pile up in their lives, none of that is going to change anything because I'm powerless to change my past. It happened. What I need to do now is to assume responsibility for me right now in this reality of my life. I can't change what happened yesterday, but I can take a different approach in my demeanor, my attitude, and my heart from this day forward. So I'm powerless to change my past. The second thing I need to admit is that I'm powerless to control other people. I can't do it. I can try. I manipulate them. I use all kinds of little gimmicks. I've, I've gotten expert at controlling my environment and the people in my world. But listen, it just doesn't work. Ultimately, we have to remind ourselves that I am not responsible for anyone else's actions but my own. I am responsible for me. And it's none of my business what other people are doing. And it's certainly not my role to try to control them. All it does is reveal my level of insecurity. The more insecure you are, the more you need to control. And you don't need that. And so I am powerless to control other people. And the third thing, that I am powerless to cope with my harmful habits, my behaviors, and my actions. I really don't have everything I need to sort this out. I need help beyond myself. And so I have to admit that. Let me end with one verse. It's from James chapter 4, verse 6. James 4, verse 6. It's very short. It's very important. It simply says, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. He opposes the person who says, look, I can manage this. I got it. I understand, you know, I've got some issues that, you know, I can handle this. You know, I've, I, I got control. I, I, it's not that big a deal. There's no problem here. I know I fly off the handle sometimes, but, but that, you know, I can manage that. I, I, I know that I do the wrong thing sometimes. I know I'm not too. I, sometimes I, I, I but I can, I can manage it. Listen, God opposes the proud. Now, if that's true, why in the world would you want to get God against you? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. To the person who says, okay, I can't manage. Okay, I don't have what it takes. Okay, I can't overcome this. My, I can't deal with this bitterness in my life. I've, I, look, I've taken such offense that I cannot forgive. I just can't do this on my own. I need help. This habit that I've, this compulsion that I've developed, this, this tendency I have, this pattern for bad relationships, I've, I can't do this by myself anymore. God, I'm humbling myself. I'm recognizing my humanity. I need your help. God gives grace to the humble. He gives favor, he gives blessing, he gives strength, he gives power, he gives leadership, he gives direction, he gives peace, he gives healing to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. First step to freedom, recognize your need for God. Call on his help and humble yourself before him. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now let's pray.
Now, while we're praying this morning, I know that many of you have been thinking, I could tell your wheels are turning. Let me ask you, what needs changing in your life? What needs changing in your life? What hurt or hang-up, habit, have you been trying to ignore? And for many of you, I know, I get it. This step will be the hardest step. But it's the first step and the most important. Because when you get over this, you just admit, look, I have a problem. I have a need. I have a hurt. It's hard for us to admit that because it's humbling. But what you're saying is, look, I'm not God. I don't have it all together as much as I'd like everybody to think I do. I don't have it all together. So if you tell that to somebody, listen, if you find a trusted friend today and you, t- you tell you, your problem to them or your hurt to them, let me tell you somewhat, something. They're not going to be surprised. Now, they may not know what the specific issue was for you, but they won't be surprised. They know it because we all know it because we all have pain. We all have issues, and God knows it, and you know it. Here's the deal. You just have to admit it. It means being honest and facing a problem that you've been ignoring for too long. So, Lord, hear our prayer today. We submit ourselves to you. We admit today that we are not God. We confess our sin, our tendency to control our lives. But we're reminded this day, O God, that you oppose the proud and you give grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves before you and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, would you stand with us now and sing?